Welcome to the Working Mom's Guide to Sanity podcast, your go-to resource for support, advice, and inspiration as you navigate the challenges of balancing your ambitious career dreams and your family. Each week, I'll bring you interviews with powerhouse working moms who'll share their insights on how they manage to find sanity while juggling their demanding jobs and kids. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. I'm an executive coach for women in male-dominated fields, and boy, have I heard it all. I've experienced a lot. I'm a mother of two young girls, and the women that I interview somehow built these businesses, climbed the ranks of corporate America, and followed their dreams all while being a mother and clinging to their sanity. And you can do it too. Each week, I'll show you how. Welcome to the show. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson, and today's guest is Joey Coleman. He is a best-selling author. His newest book, Never Lose an Employee Again, The Simple Path to Remarkable Retention, is the topic of the show today. And he wrote another book called Never Lose a Customer Again, and he was on the show um, previously a few months back, and we had a wonderful chat. Um, this is no different. We had an incredible chat about not only um, leaders and what they can do on their end as far as you know, really fostering employer retention, but also if you're an employee, um, ways that you can actively manage your career and ensure that you're getting what you need. And at the end of the day, I think that both of these conversations, the one we had about customers and this one about employees is really just about cultivating relationships. So even if you don't manage somebody or you don't feel like you're an employee right now who's a potential flight risk, I still think that this conversation applies because at the end of the day, we're talking about connections and relationships, and Joey is an absolute expert in that area. Joey Coleman, so incredible to have you back on the show. This is his new baby, Never Lose an Employee Again. You guys, I sang the praises of Never Lose a Customer Again, and it was something that absolutely changed the way I thought about my business, the way I treated my customers. After that, once I signed customers, clients, I started sending out these beautiful, very expensive gift boxes with all these different tools in them, with handwritten notes, everything Joey says to do. And I actually had one client whose husband is a coach reach out and say, this is incredible. Like this is incredible branding. And I said, it's from Joey. So I got so many insights from you and you guys never lose an employee again. The simple path to remarkable retention is so needed right now. So thank you for being on the show, Joey. Oh, Elizabeth, it is my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me back. And thanks to everybody who's listening in. So excited to be here and be part of this conversation. Yeah, so let's get into it. So let's just kind of do broad stroke here. Okay. You witnessed the great resignation and then we heard about the great regret, right? A lot of people jumped right. ship during COVID and then they quickly got a new job. Maybe they went from the frying pan to the fire. Then everybody kind of, there was this overwhelming feeling of like, okay, maybe this actually isn't what I want. Maybe some people are working from home right now. Maybe the grass was greener and now they're feeling like they need to jump again. What is your take on all of this? Do you feel like this is just cyclical or there are some things that are very real and new that have really sprung since COVID and it's just a new landscape? Yeah, it's my personal belief that we are at an unprecedented time in the history of work. I think we can look at a number of factors and demographics and kind of indicators, but the moral of the story is, I don't believe there's ever been a time in human history where a change in how we think about work affected every job in every industry, in every country, on the planet at the same time. I've had people say to me, but Joey, the industrial revolution, well, folks, I get it, but there are parts of the world where the industrial revolution still hasn't impacted. Right. And there are other parts where it's huge. COVID 
And the pandemic impacted every business, the way we do work, the way we think about work, our expectations for work, both as employers and employees. And while I certainly empathize with the leaders out there who are saying, oh, I just can't wait till it gets back to the way it was in 2019 and let's get everybody back in the office and it'll all go back to being wonderful. Well, first of all, two things. Number one, it wasn't that wonderful to start with. Sorry, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we live in a little revisionist history if we think 2019 was that remarkably awesome. Number two, I don't think you can get the genie back in the bottle. The game has changed. And there are two types of companies in the world, I think. They're the companies that are fighting to get it back to the way it was and the companies that are saying there is a new landscape and we are going to respond to this new landscape by thinking differently about how we operate, how we treat our people, what we expect of our people, and how we play a role in their personal and professional lives. Yeah, it's like uh, Who Moved My Cheese, that book. If you guys have read it, I was given that and anytime you know, a company that I worked for was getting acquired. It was like, you're either going to change with us, right? Or you're going to stay stuck in this maze, if you will. And ultimately, you know, you're going to be left to the side. And I think that that's what's happening right now. I love that you brought up this whole, like, we can't put the genie back in the bottle because you're the expert here. I want to get your take on it. I do have some situations right now where I'm working with organizations and everybody went remote and now they are like they're getting a new office and they're forcing everybody back in nine to five. And there are some people who are really pushing back. And I also want to get your your feelings on like extroverts versus introverts and if they need to be treated differently by their employers. But this whole hard line that everybody needs to be back in the office for a minimum, maybe two, three days, some are saying all five, And then we're seeing the media come out with all of this supporting research. So I would love to get your thoughts on this supporting research. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, there are so many places we could go with this conversation, Elizabeth. All right. uh, Interest of full disclosure, my disclaimers. So a couple disclaimers. Number one, I'm a recovering attorney. So my belief around what is evidence and what is not evidence is based on that perspective. So when I talk to a leader and they say, well, we've got to get back to the office because things were so much better when we were here. Like we were more productive. We were more efficient. They were more collaborative. I'm like, great. What's your data? And they're like, well, well, we were. And I'm like, okay, awesome. I appreciate that. I appreciate that anecdata, anecdotal data of that's how you feel. But what are the metrics that you're actually measuring that you feel the difference shows? And suddenly it gets very quiet. And there isn't a lot of data about that. Now, let me state that as a human being, I understand and appreciate, and I think all humans understand and appreciate the benefit of being in the same room as another human being and having that opportunity to have an energetic exchange, a collaborative work experience, et cetera. Yes, there is huge benefit to that. And forcing, and it's interesting you use the word forcing, and that's the word a lot of employers are using right now, forcing people to come back to the office is not a recipe for success. The top talent, the top performers in the world don't want to be forced to do anything. They want to be led. They want to be inspired. They want to be encouraged. That is how humans respond best. And I know that puts me in conflict with a number of, you know, high school sports coaches who are like, we just got to force them to do more. Okay, fine. But there's a reason why most people don't become fit and athletic post high school that were on high school sports teams. Why? Because that mentality of I'm going to force you versus I am going to meet you where you're at and shift your philosophical framework and view on life is very, very different. 
So I think it's something that employers should be very cautious about this idea of forcing people back to work. Creating opportunities for them to collaborate in person, yes, hugely valuable, important. Creating opportunities for people to come and get the generative ideas from being in the same place, hugely important. But if you go back to 2019, where you basically had folks sitting in cubicles, emailing the person sitting next to them, which is what we were all doing, right? That is not the future of work. The future of work is very different than And I love that you say that to a lot of these leaders, like there isn't their research. There's some study that comes out and the news cycle runs with it to say they're more productive. But I would also ask those leaders, like we've all worked for people and executive leadership wasn't in the office. They're traveling. They're doing golf outings. They're doing whatever. I'm like, you don't want to be now. You know what I mean? Like those rules don't apply to you. So it's very easy to dictate those to your employees. But like you're not going to be the dude in the office all day either. Elizabeth, that's so true. And let's be candid. It often is the dude. Okay. Let's, let's, let's jump on this. Who's saying everybody needs to be here. And when I dive deep into these conversations, what I normally hear from leaders is one of two things, either how am I going to know they're working? Right. I need to be able to see them to know they're working or secondarily. Well, when I was coming up, this is how, Okay, great. So thank you for those two perspectives. Let's dive into each. The I need to see them philosophy. If you believe you need to be standing over your employees to make sure they're working, you need to be tracking the keystrokes on their computers and paying attention to how much time they're on social media versus how much time they're in the Google Doc doing the work they're supposed to be doing. My first question is not how are you tracking or why are you tracking? It's more why do you have those people in your organization to start with? If you don't trust them to do the work, why did you let them into the fold? Why did you invite them to become employees? Secondarily, if you're looking at it and saying, well, when I was coming up, I have a ton of empathy for you because this is the way it was when I was coming up too. I used to work as a lawyer, right? Lawyers, the traditional model, if you were working at a large law firm is you have to be ready to bill 2000 hours a year. Now for folks who aren't in the legal profession, 2000 hours a year billable time is going to require you to work a minimum, an absolute minimum of 60 hours a week with no vacation. Minimum, because you can't bill every hour, probably closer to 80 hours a week. So this idea that, well, I went through the pain, so you should have to go through the pain as well, just isn't grounded in any semblance of logic or reality. And if we get really honest, and this may require laying down on a therapist couch, and we ask you about your time when you were coming up in your career, did you love the work you were doing? Did you love the boss you were working for? Did you love the impact you were making? Or did you just feel that because you slogged through it, now everyone else has to slog through it as well? This is the proverbial, I walked to school both ways in storms, and it was you know a tough childhood that we tell kids, right? No. Just acknowledge that the planet has changed. And in the same way that if I said to you, you can't use a computer, you can't use a phone anymore, cell phone, which by the way, you didn't have when you were coming up either. Most of the people who are saying this, you would say, well, Joey, that's ridiculous. These are tools of productivity. So is working remotely. Yeah. I love that you said that too. I mean, I, in my experience, right out of college, I worked for vitamin water when it was a startup. So I was like, you know, pulling a cooler uh, down Michigan Avenue and also in Boston and all these things. And I got this job offer to go work at an office on Michigan Avenue, wear a suit every day, take the L. And I thought, yes, this is professional. I'm going to go do this. And I went there and sat at a desk for nine to five. Actually, I think it was like eight to five because they took the hour of your lunch, right? Um, It was such bullshit. And (laughs) I 
I've never been so unhappy in my life. It was awful. And I lasted about 60 days before I was like, nope, like I will go ride in some stranger's car. They call them route rides in beverage. I will go route ride every day and wake up at 5 a.m. just to not have to sit at this desk. Like, I think that some people are okay with it because I've met people who are like, you know what? I don't mind the office and I love the energy and I love having my space. And it's a defined place from home, you know, where work stops or whatever can start. But not everybody's wired like that. Like that would be death sentence for me to have to go back into an office. And to your point, I think that this whole thing of like, do you trust your employees or not? Yes or no. And if it's no, then yeah, you're going to be the person dragging them back in. But like at some point we have to talk about this. Some people are extroverts. Some people are introverts. Like I'm an extra extroverted introvert, which means in certain settings, I thrive right off like being with people. But I need solitude to recharge and space and privacy. And so I really think you have to look sometimes employee by employee. Would you not agree? A hundred percent. I mean, I would posit that you're probably an ambivert like me, Elizabeth, right? So an ambivert is somebody who, depending on the circumstance, is either an extrovert or an introvert. I'm exactly the same way. People presume because I'm a professional speaker and because I do podcasts and, you know, I'm on stage that like, oh, he's extrovert all the time. No, I'm extrovert when you see me. Yeah. I'm introvert when you don't see me, right? And so it's the give or take. And I think the opportunity that is available to every leader is to stop presuming that every employee values things the same way. See, I think what's interesting here is we had this conditioning as we moved into or out of the agrarian society into the industrial revolution society. And then we started to eke our way a little bit into the information age. We had this thought and philosophy of, well, we need to systematize everything. We need to make everybody the same. Great. That made sense when everybody was working on a factory assembly line floor, but that's not the way we do work anymore. And so shifting our thought of how we model things for our individual people and how we respect who they are and how they're hardwired, I think is hugely important. The other thing about going back to the office or working from the office, almost every leader I know is feeling the push from their employees that they want more benefits. They want more money. They want more perks. They want more benefits. Great. Here's an interesting way to think about it. What if for the same amount of money you're paying all of your employees, you could give them a full day of vacation every week? Now, some leaders are going, Joey, how would that even be possible? How would we get our work done? Well, depending on whose research you look at, somewhere between 30 and 50% of Americans pre-pandemic were super commuters. Super commuter is something that is defined as a person who commutes for more than an hour and a half each day. If I give you an hour and a half back each day, it's the equivalent of giving you one day of work over the course of five days. So you can give your people, they were already spending, to your point, you know, when you said you worked from eight to five because they took the lunch hour, you can give a full day back to your people, just letting them work from home. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to have their people work remotely. There's some jobs, there's some industries where that in-person hands-on, we haven't figured out a way, for example, for chiropractors to work from home. We can't do a haptic vest adjustment. You got to be in the office. We got to adjust you. However... Most jobs don't require you to be physically present to do the work, nor do they require if you really want to blow people's minds to work the same time as everybody else. That's where this is really going, friends. The cutting edge companies are not only allowing their employees to work from where they want, but they're allowing their people to work when they want, asynchronous production. And that's where suddenly the conversation gets really interesting in terms of the type of talent you can recruit 
and more importantly, the type of talent you can retain. When you give top performers freedom, they respond with loyalty. Well, and a big piece of my audience for this show are working moms. And this is a huge thing. And so I do feel like, I feel like at some point too, we've got pronouns now in our LinkedIn's or whatever after it. I feel like we should have an asterisk for parents. Like if it wasn't going to invite such a bias, I would be loud and proud about it. But like, there are some people who, you know, they've got a nanny maybe in their house, maybe they're privileged enough to have a nanny and the kid is napping certain hours. So that is a better time to have, you know, a 400 person conference call when a kid isn't going to potentially go screaming by or you're not going to be distracted. Like, I do feel like for parents, there could be this other curated hours of work set up because some are really productive at night when the kids are down and they're like, whoa, I've, I've got an hour. I could just bang through like 30 emails. But they do. They fill this chain to their desk to be here by eight or nine to, quote unquote, be on. But they could be going to the gym. Maybe that's when they feel like they could actually get their workout in instead of at eight o'clock at night. Eight o'clock at night is email time, right? So do you feel like the world and the landscape of employment is progressive enough to someday embrace something like that where the hours are not necessarily set? I won't speak to the progressive nature of work because that gets really interesting really fast. But what I will say is, the train has left the station. You're either going to evolve to this way of operating or you're going out of business. It's that simple. I mean, and I know that's a a stark position to take, but I think let's, let's talk about what we know, okay? What we know about human beings scientifically based on research. No two human beings have exactly the same DNA. No two human beings have exactly the same circadian rhythm and way that they operate in life. The problem is, and we see this in the world of medicine, for decades, if not centuries, we have tried to treat every human exactly the same way. The most cutting edge scientific medical research is saying, what are the specific pills or sleep schedule or workout schedule that we can give you based on your DNA, based on your operating code, which is unique and individual to you. This requires a high level of customization and personalization, but it produces exponentially better results than the spray and pray model of let's just have everybody do the same thing. This same philosophy can translate into work as well. I've got a lot of respect for parents that are working at home. Okay. And that's to be clear, not to the denigration of those who aren't parents, but when you're working at home as a parent, as I do, and you've got kids potentially coming in and out of the room or, Hey, daddy's recording a podcast. So let's be quiet right now. Or mommy's got a conference call right now. Let's be quiet right now. On one hand, I respect where parents are at. On the other hand, I want to give everyone listening permission to not care as much about that as you do. Because here's the thing, so many, and at the risk of making a sweeping stereotype, I see this more with moms than dads. So many parents who are working think that they need to create an illusion where they pretend that this part of their life doesn't exist when they're working. I think that is a disservice to parents everywhere. You have a family. You have a life between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m., okay? Let's stop pretending that you don't. What we can do as employers, what we can do as leaders is to embrace and recognize that our employees, our team members, our people have lives outside of work and create space for them when that life blurs into working hours. Yeah. Most employers think nothing of asking their employee to do a late conference call with the team in Australia. Most employers think nothing 
of asking an employee who's on vacation to be available for that one conference call that we have to have or to respond to emails when you can. And yet we as employees often feel like, oh, geez, I can't. I can't take my kid to the doctor, even though this is the only time I can get a doctor's appointment in the next four months. I can't take 45 minutes out of my day to get my child to the doctor for their school physical. Stop it. We can right? do better. We can do better as employers. We can do better as employees. We can do better as humans. Yeah. It's so funny. Before we hit record, I was telling Joey about some upcoming like live national segments I have and they're going to be at 30 Rock and like my kids are going to come because it's Delilah's birthday this weekend. And I really had to kind of make the decision of like, do I miss her birthday? Like that was what this came from because they the segment straddled the weekend and the weekend is her birthday. And my husband was like, no, she's just going to come out. We'll just come out. And then last night he said, you know, we'll bring the girls like to 30 Rock for like your second segment so they can see you. And I was like, no, like I don't really want them to know I have kids, even though I'm talking about being a working mom in these segments. And I'm like trying to hide the fact that my kids are going to be in town or that I would even because it would come off as potentially unprofessional to have them in my green room or whatever. But Joey, you know, talks some sense into me. So we're going to have them there. But I, if, the if thing, NBC Elizabeth, allows. Yeah, I, I, I will I will tell you this. Well, first of all, if NBC doesn't allow. It's an, oppor- it's an opportunity to really push back and say, I'm yeah. sorry, what is this segment about? Oh, it's right. about working parents. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Maybe the working parent can have their children because yeah. this is what all the working parents watching the segment deal right. with every single day. Secondarily, I think there is such an opportunity for us to begin to shift the perspective without making an apology for it. Yeah. Who decided that having children was unprofessional? Right. I know. But I think we do. I'm sorry. I I agree with you. I think we put a burden on ourselves that we presume like, oh, how's this going to be? I took my two boys to an event I spoke at a few months ago. And I said to him when we were going to come on the event, this was their first trip with just daddy. Right. And it was like, all right, we're just going. We're going for work. We're going to have some fun, too. But that means you guys are going to come to the tech check, the sound check. We're going to prep prep the slides. We're going to be there in the audience early. We're going to watch the speakers before. We're going to do daddy's keynote. We figured out all these pieces. And I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous about what is the client going to think? What are the other speakers going to think? What are they? We show up for tech check and I'm working with the client and there are some people setting up their vendor booths. Mm-hmm. Two women latch onto my two boys and are like, do you want to come help us set up the booth? Not only did they have an amazing time, these women were so kind in how they treated the boys, but they both shared with me later about how much fun they had showing a kid how a booth setup works and showing a kid how a tech check looks. And I think we have in our heads this belief that, oh, people are going to be annoyed by a child being in the room. It's actually an opportunity for us to bring more play to work, more fun to work, more spontaneity, more presence which is something that I think every employer on the planet should be exploring how to do. I love that. And it's us, right? Like in my head, I'm like, well, this is a first impression and it's a big deal. So I don't want to have kids there to make it because I think in my mind, I'm like, they might think I'm unorganized. I don't have my shit together if I've got kids there or whatever versus this is a strategic decision. Like this is a conscious decision to have them there. Like it was a conscious decision for you to have your boys there. It wasn't because you couldn't find childcare. It was because there was an opportunity. So I love that. And I do think that we need to embrace this. I mean, for so many years too, like 
I would hide pictures of my kids, you know, like even out of the Zoom focus, because I just didn't want that because there are very real bias. There is, uh, you know, a motherhood penalty and all of that. And so it was like, I just don't want anybody to know. But to your point, this is such an opportunity and this is the future of work. These are going to be, you know, the leaders of our next time, you know, for their generation. And so we can't kind of like hide them back in the shadows and pretend like we're not parents because my God, if that isn't a full-time job, you know, it's oh, like, cool. Not only a full-time job, the hardest job on the planet. Right. With all the, so quick story. I had the opportunity to work for the United States Secret Service. And I wow. worked with someone who was, uh, this was earlier in my career. I worked with someone who had been on three presidential details. Now, if you know anything about the Secret Service, you know that the agents that guard the president age two physical years for every one year on the job. And the average Secret Service agent protecting the president is only on detail for two years because they worried that they burn them out, they lose their edge, they're not as focused. And this is these are the pinnacle of human beings. These are the most you know incredible, trustworthy, alert, present humans you will ever meet. And I was having a conversation with this guy. He'd been on three different details. Like, this is unheard of. I don't think anybody in the history of the Secret Service had ever done this. And I was asking him about it. And he said in passing something that I will never forget. I was in my early 20s. And he said, Joey, every night I go home to my wife and I say, I spent the day physically keeping the leader of the free world alive. And you did a job that's more important than mine. And really? you did a job that's harder than mine. And I thought to myself, we get to choose how much we respect those who are raising the future members of our society. It is a choice. And I get that some people make different choices and that is fine. But I am one who adamantly believes that being a child caregiver, whether that's a parent, a guardian, a foster parent, if you are looking out for a young human being, your job is 24-7. You're constantly worried about it. You're constantly thinking about it. You don't get a vacation from being a parent. Even when you're on vacation as a parent away from your kids, you're still thinking and acting and being a parent. So I think we could all do better to not only respect this role in our society, but to position our business operations to create space and accommodations for just how challenging this is. I love that. And you said earlier, and that was beautiful. You said earlier too, employees are looking for benefits. And I feel like this is a, a big one, like the whole parental candidate pool. I love in your book, you say organiz organizations need to stop focusing on winning a negotiation. And that really resonated with me because I coach clients through negotiations every week, right? And most of the time I'm like, you know, add another zero to that, or you're worth another 100K more. And a lot of times it's moms, you know, really downplaying their value. But there have been some negotiations where they've ended up taking the role, but they felt like, like the candidate felt like they were just really nickel and diming them. And guess what? Another thing that Joey says in his book is that 74% of candidates say the first day will predict if they're going to stay more than one month. And I think to your point, it's the negotiation. They're yes. already setting off on a bad foot. Like, so 100%. what can we learn from this as a candidate, but also as a leader, this whole negotiation when we are talking about comp? Well, I think so many leaders think that the negotiation around compensation has to do with dollars. And to a degree, it does. But it's so much more than that. It has to deal with identity. It has to do with time. It has to do with non 
direct monetary benefits. It has to do with healthcare, childcare, elder care, vacation, all these pieces of the puzzle. One of my favorite pieces of research since we started talking about, you know, data and the anecdata that people have, the typical research that is done for why employees leave is based on a sample set of somewhere between 300 and 500 respondents. This is kind of industry standard globally for doing research on why employees leave. And if you know anything about statistics or research, that's a super small sample set. And I can take any group of 300 people and get them to say exactly what I want them to say to prove the point I'm trying to make. Right. I found some research when writing the book from an organization called Work Institute, and they did 234,000 exit interviews, not 300 to 500, 234 thousand exit interviews across a variety of industries. And what they found is that a certain percentage of people do leave because they can get more money elsewhere. They leave straight for the dollars. Right. That percentage is 9%. 9% of employees leave for more money. Now, if you were to ask the typical leader of the last 10 people you lost, how many left for more money? Most of them will be like, oh, 90%. Why? Well, that's because that's what the employee told you. Because they know if they tell you that, they don't have to be as honest. And there's not a lot you can do to push back to challenge. Because if you can't pay them more, well, guess what? They don't have to dive into why they really left. What I got curious about is the 91% of people that left for reasons other than money. Why did they leave? And what's fascinating is there was a huge chunk of people, 23%, that left for the exact same reason. 23% compared to the 9% that left more money. This is okay. almost three times as many left for the same reason. And that is they were unclear about what their future in the organization would look like. They didn't understand their career path. So for every employer listening, if you want to dramatically change the negotiation, if you want to dramatically change your retention, you can affect almost a quarter of your employees by making sure that they clearly understand how the job they are in today is going to lead to the job they're going to be in next year. Whether it's the same job with more responsibility, more pay and a bigger title, whether it's a different job within your organization where we can add onto their skill set, whether it's something that they can choose to follow that maybe has nothing to do with your vision of the organization, but you might be able to grab a whole new level of energy, enthusiasm and excitement from the employee by exploring that new level. There is an opportunity for leaders everywhere to connect more with what their people are passionate about, are excited about, are eager to learn more and do more and explore more, and seeing how that can fit into the narrative and story of your enterprise, instead of presuming that, well, you're in this job and we'll be in this job until you're not in this job. We're, we're okay, humans. I love We'd that. like to grow. There's two things I want to ask you. I think that there's a stat too around acknowledgement is like a big reason people leave. So I want to get your yes. thoughts on that. But first, this whole like, career path, right? Like who's projecting out your career path. I think that maybe because employers have fallen so far from the bar of doing this and they've lost focus on this, what I really preach to clients and, and on my show too is radical accountability for your career. So I say you need to tell your boss where you want to be because they're not thinking about it. Because to your point, they just, they really aren't. And that's why so many people leave. So and it really puts you in the driver's seat. It's like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. For the next year, I will be doing this. And then once I hit these benchmarks, which we agree upon, then we will have a talk. We will have an evaluation. And then my hope is to, you know, whether it's like 
go into another department to well-round yourself or just to linearly, in, linearly keep moving forward. But so is it, is it more, is it both? Is it the boss's job and the employee's job or is it more so one or the other? I'll, I'll paraphrase from the world of improv and say it's a yes and, right? It's both. It's the, as employees, we need to take responsibility for our own careers because not everyone we interact with is going to have our vested interest in heart, you know, and, and it's not going to be kind of as uh, committed to our future growth and development. And if you are a leader, and by the way, I define a leader not just as a CEO. I define a leader as anyone who has people quote unquote, under them, people that report to them, people that they're responsible for managing. If you do a performance review for someone and you're the one who fills it out, you are a leader, whether you think of yourself as a leader or not, okay? If you have somebody who you write the check for, for all our solo entrepreneurs or singles, you know, small team, mighty teams that are out there, anyone on your team, you are partially responsible for their career and their future. So we need to pay attention to that. One of the examples from the book, there, there are over 50 case studies in the book from all so seven good. continents. So it's really hard to pick a favorite. But one of the kind of pound for pound highest impact uh, examples in the book comes from an organization that is a mom owned business called Well-Oiled Operations. Okay. And Well-Oiled Operations has about between a half a dozen and two or between a dozen and two dozen employees. I think they're at like 17 right now, 15 to 17 employees. What they do is every year, the CEO presents the vision for where the enterprise is going to be in three years. Here's our three-year plan of where we're going. Now, let's be candid, Elizabeth. That's not particularly rare. That happens in a lot of organizations where they say, here's where we're going in the future. But what Well-Oiled Operations and Stacey Tushel, the CEO, does that is so unique and different is when they present this vision, they also present the future org chart. The org chart for the organization three years from now. And that includes entire roles and positions that haven't been hired for yet. They haven't been filled. They're for divisions and ideas and things that we haven't even started working on. And when they present this to the employees, they say two things. Number one, check out where we're going and look at how you might be involved. Number two, if you see a role or a position that we're going to have in the future that you think you might be interested in now, please come and tell us why. Because we might be able to start developing your skills, giving you some opportunities in that space that will help in the future. So example, if in three years from now, you're going to have a product line of your business and maybe an e-commerce store, and you've got a team member who's like, I'm really into photography. Great. We're going to need a director of photography for the online store three years from now. Would you like to start taking some photos for our company now? and honing your photography skills. And maybe for our continuing education where we give you money to go take a course to learn things about, by the way, you could take a photography course and we'll count that towards something that will reimburse for tuition. When you start to have those type of conversations with employees, loyalty goes to a completely different level. Engagement goes to a completely different level. Retention goes to a completely different level because the team members now feel that their quote unquote boss is vested in their personal growth and future. I mean, it's not rocket science, but like people aren't doing it. I mean, Joey, they aren't like and common sense isn't so, so common, good. Elizabeth. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is this is not. Here's the thing. It's not complicated, but it does require effort. Yeah. I won't go so far as to say it's easy. What you need to create is not that complex. 
but it does require intentionality. It does require focus. Now, if I may, as a slight aside to anyone listening who at this point is like, Joey, I'm overwhelmed. Oh my God. There's so many things I could be doing. I know I should be doing. I want to be doing. Where do I start? What do I do? Number one, acknowledge that your awareness alone puts you in a special space. Okay. Even if you're aware that this is something you should pay attention to, you've jumped the first hurdle, which many employers haven't even jumped that first level of awareness. Second, what is one thing you can do this week to start to move the dial? You might not be able to create a future org chart and have meetings with everyone on your team, but you know what you could do? Have meeting with one, have a meeting with one person on your team and say, Hey, out of curiosity, you've been here for a while. You're a great contributor. What would make it really exciting for you to work here two years from now? And just let them explore. They might not even have an answer to that question. But you asking that question sends a very clear message to them that, number one, you're interested in having them be here two years from now. And number two, you're willing to start to take their desires and needs into consideration in how you structure their position, their comp, their benefits, their way of working. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and get the book, guys, Never Lose an Employee Again. There's all sorts of just jewels in there. I mean, you're going to need the Audible because Joey's got such a great voice, but then also like the book so you can highlight and uh, dog ear the pages. But something that I share with clients too, a lot of times over the last year, really, a lot of my clients are leaders in tech and there have been multiple like reorgs and some people didn't get the promotions that they wanted, that they thought they were going to get. And I've said to them, you know, on your weekly check-ins or whatever, or maybe it's monthly, it's always good to ask them, like, what's one tiny tweak that would seem insig insignificant to me, but really big to you that I could do to make your life a little easier or to make your work a little easier? Because we're not opening the door then for them to say, I want more comp or I want this promotion. It's what's one tiny tweak that I could do over the next month or whatever that I'm blind to that would really help you. And maybe it is. I'd like to start calls at nine instead of eight so I can go to the gym. And I promise you, I will get that time back. You know, something like that. That is a nothing to a leader. Okay, great. We'll just make that tiny tweak. Or I really like to work from home on Fridays. Or I would really like to talk about actually having four-day work weeks, like legit. And this is just, you're planting a seed. Now we know that that's not a tiny thing, but I think you're, to your point, you're like, putting yourself in their shoes, you're acknowledging it because we've all worked for other people. You at the law firm, I've worked for people too, where it was like, there was one little tiny tweak they could have done. Maybe when they were giving a presentation, they could have shouted out my name as a team member. Things, it costs nothing, yes. you know? And But it's also like, it's not really the leader's fault because they're not going to be able to read your mind. Like, I think it's a two-way street here, right? But we can start having those conversations of like, what can I do on a small scale? These tiny Elizabeth. tweaks add up. Yeah, Elizabeth, I so agree with you. I mean, I think it, the challenge, it, this isn't meant to denigrate the leader or to denigrate the employee or the team member. This is meant to work together better, to get better at articulating our wants, our needs. And one of the things I do with my team is we have a regular conversation called Stop, Start, Continue. I do this with my clients mm, as well. I love that. And the conversation goes like this. We are doing things, we're working together right now. What is something that I'm doing right now that I should stop doing? That, you, that like it doesn't work for you for whatever reason, you know, you just, I wish it if you didn't do this. Number two, what is something I should start doing? Something that I'm not doing right now that you wish I was doing. And number three, what is something I should continue doing? 
What is something that is already going on that you would like to keep going on in the future? So stop, start, continue, and you can play around with the order in which you ask them. But my team, we've gotten to the point now where I can say, hey, we're going to have a 30-minute stop, start, continue conversation next Tuesday. Come to the call ready with your stop, start, continue. And now they know that there's a regular cadence for them flagging something that's working, something that's not working. And one of my favorites is the continue, because I think as leaders, often we're doing things and we're throwing them into the void. And we're not even sure if it's being noticed. If you want to give your boss some great reinforcement, let them know what they're doing that you love. There are plenty of people in their life that are telling them what they don't love. There are plenty of people giving them stops. There are plenty of people giving them starts. Hey, you're not doing this. I need you to start doing this. Yeah. The number of people that are giving them continues is rarefied air. And if you can be seen as the team member who's regularly saying, you know, I loved that you shouted me out in that call. That really meant the world to me. Thank you so much. You know, you're so great about spreading the wealth. And I see you do it with me and with other team members. Please keep doing that because it's one of the things that keeps me coming back day after day. Giving them that positive reinforcement not only continues to make sure that you get that thing that you're loving, right? But it also strengthens the bond that you have with this leader. And what I know and what all the research shows is leaders, like all humans, have favorites. They have favorite employees. And if you are seen as an employee who gives them the honest feedback, positive and negative, but doesn't just hold back the hard conversations for things they don't like, shares the hard conversations about things they absolutely love, now you are being seen in a different light, not only by that leader, but potentially by the entire organization. Oh my gosh, I love it. This is, this is Joey's genius. Is he doesn't really like specifically call it out, but everything that he's saying isn't just for employees and employers. It's relationships. This stop, start, continue, you could ask your spouse, you could ask your children, you could ask your family members, friends. Like what a wonderful way to get some real insight and for that person to feel seen and valued and their and their words mean something and that you're actually listening. So I love it, you guys. And the, if you haven't read Never Lose um, a, a Customer Again, you have to. I, that was a great starting point. Employee, Never Lose an Employee Again is another one. But like, I think they're like salt and pepper. I tell Joey, I think they're a pair. I think you should read both. But this isn't just for people like if you could be saying, well, I don't have a lot of employees or so this isn't applicable. It is because all of these are relationships. These are really just relationship books, I think. And so I think they're applicable across all different parts of our lives. So thank you for coming on again, Joey. Congratulations on all the success with this book. And I think everybody who reads this, there's no doubt that you're not going to at least find a handful of applications. So I feel like that's a pretty high ROI on a book these days. So be sure to go out and grab it. Joey, thank you so much for being with us again today. Oh, Elizabeth, thanks so much for having me on the show. And thanks to everybody who joined us. I so appreciate your time and your listening in. And if there's anything I can do to support as you continue to explore your customer experiences, your employee experiences, your experience as an employee, don't hesitate to reach out. Elizabeth is spot on. I'm all about relationships. I'm all about doing whatever we can do to make our lives more rich, more meaningful, more exciting. And To me, the bulk of the answer to that question of how do we do that lies in the people that we're in relationship with. So I wish you all the best as you continue to develop those personal and emotional connections with the people you interact with. Someday I'm going to come see you speak, Joey. 
I love it. I look forward to it. Okay. Thanks for sharing your genius with us today.